Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 41 with Tim Ferriss of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host and I am so extremely pumped and excited for today's guest that I'm bringing to you, the one and only Tim Ferriss. Now, this guy doesn't need an introduction and He's seriously like one of my idols. I know I might sound like a bit of a fanboy, but his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, changed the game for me. So if it wasn't for Tim creating The 4-Hour Workweek, I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing today. It wouldn't be, the founder wouldn't exist. So I'm really, really excited to bring this episode to you guys. And it's taken a while to get in touch with Tim and uh, track him down and and get this interview, but uh, it finally happened, and I'm really, really proud of it, actually. And, uh, you know, Tim is one of my all-time idols and favorite entrepreneurs, and uh, he shares so much gold with us. I was really, really taken back by how much value he provided, especially around marketing, how to get traction for any product or service that you're building from scratch and you're trying to get traction in the early days. Also some great productivity tools, hacks and uh, mindsets and all sorts of things that he's doing to leverage his time because he is the four hour man and uh, so much more. We talk about his family life and a little bit about his background and where he came from, which I thought was quite interesting. 
Tim also shares with us some really exciting news about a TV show that he's launching called The Tim Ferriss Experiment and uh, what we can expect from there. And uh, the trailer will be in the show notes and uh, also links to how to access it. And yeah, it was a fantastic conversation. I will not bore you any more with my ramblings. But uh, yeah, look, really, really excited to bring this one to you guys. If you do enjoy these interviews, please do take the time to leave us a five-star review. It helps more than you can imagine. Please do check out the magazine. It's the fruits of our labor. Please do go to the founder website. You know, If you need to see the show notes, you won't miss anything there. It's all there on our website. Plenty more content. We're here to serve and help entrepreneurs just like you, however we can. Now let's jump into the show. To start off with, you know, you don't need an introduction. I'd just like to start off with the humble beginnings. Like, what was your family life like? What was life like growing up for you? Growing up was done on Eastern Long Island. So I grew up on rural Long Island, which is... uh, few hours, say two and a half hours from New York City, a lot of potato farms. And uh, it's a a seasonal town, meaning it attracts a lot of people out to the Hamptons who are rich Manhattanites coming out for the summer and so on. I grew up, my mom, my dad, my my younger brother, there as locals, so townies. And I had a rat tail at one point growing up. And, uh, you know, I had, we were, I would say, middle class my parents probably never made more than 50000 or $60,000 a year combined. But it, that didn't affect my growing up at all. If anything, I think it helped. And if I look at the, the kids I met who were coming out of very, very wealthy families from the city, they struck me as quite unhappy and kind of miserable. But I uh, spent a lot of time skateboarding, biking around to see my friends because my friends were miles away. I had to, had to bike. And illustrating. I wanted to be a comic book penciler for about 10 years and did a lot of illustration. My grandfather was an artist. My uncle was an artist. And uh, continued that all the way through through college where I was a paid illustrator. And uh, that fell by the wayside when I graduated and resigned myself at the time to being a serious adult and doing serious work. But the the upbringing on Long Island was great. I really don't have any complaints. Uh, my parents have always been very, very supportive. And obviously, we, have, we, we all have our own stuff to deal with inside our families. But my parents, despite the fact that they didn't have very much money, made it really clear that I couldn't get the new bike necessarily. I couldn't get the new BB gun or whatever. But there was always a budget for books. If I wanted to read, that was a different story. They would find the money. And uh, they ex- I, what, what they did that I thought was very smart in retrospect and what I hope to do someday with my kids is they they never said, you need to learn how to count to 10 in French so we can show you off at a dinner party. Or you have to learn how to do A, B, or C, learn to play the piano. They gave me the opportunity, but they exposed me to a lot of different things, many of which were just free, going out and exploring the beaches or you know hunting for crabs, so to speak, that we never kept, but you know getting like a chicken le- the bones from chicken legs after we ate them. We ate a lot of chicken legs growing up. And uh, cause you, could, you could buy them at a discount, like in you know, packets of 30, 40, whatever. And they were able to allow me to find things that excited me. And so I, I owe them a huge debt of gratitude for that. I've always been a weird kid, though. I mean, I've, I've always been just an odd fellow who kind of marched to his own drummer. So that that malfunction or blessing or both has always been with me. Mm, interesting. And I, I really like this moment stuff. Like I, I listen to a lot of Alex Bloomberg stuff. So I really 
I really want to touch on this moment stuff. Like, can you take us back to when you started your first company, Brain Quicken? You made your first sale online. Now, Brain Quicken was your first serious company, right? That was my first serious company. I I had a a number of other ill-fated attempts at entrepreneurship. And I had a few that did well, but I didn't want to do them long-term, like uh, teaching accelerated learning classes in in college, which which did really well, but I didn't want to do it long-term. But Brain Quicken was the first attempt at a proper company. You know, all the documents in order, accountants and actual payment processors and so on. That was my, that was my first real stab. Yeah. Okay. So can you tell us the moment when you made that first sale online? How did it feel? Cause I know it was a game changer for me. <laughs> well, the way I made my first sale is kind of funny. And I think that more people should do this is, uh, I launched the company while I was still employed at a full-time job mm. because I didn't want to jump and then find the safety net. I wanted to test it and then only jump if I knew it could work and had some legs. So I basically guilted everyone in my audience, uh, not my audience, in my office, excuse me, all my coworkers. I was like, hey guys, like, you remember that lunch I bought you? Like, dude, do me a favor. Like, I'll spot you back, but just buy one bottle. Come on, like, help me get this thing off the ground. I want to make sure all the systems work. So the, the first orders I received to stress test the system were from my friends who were like, this better fucking work, man. And, uh, it was great. It was great. So they started using it in the office. And then it it gave me the confidence, even though those were kind of layup sales and I guilted people into it, it gave me the confidence that I could ostensibly make sales online. And then when I started getting my very first sales, and this was back in the day of you know, the, the heyday of the golden era of Google AdWords, it was it was just this incredible epiphany and happiness where I realized I don't need to be in one location and I don't need to sell my services by the hour to make money. And that was just, I I had always believed that, but it was a speculative hope, right? I was like, I I know this is possible, but I hadn't tasted it. I hadn't, I didn't have any direct firsthand proof. So to actually have that, that first order was amazing. And I I remember, (laughs) I'll just tell a funny story. I remember one instance where I went to my bank to uh, deposit a check. I was still, you know, taking mail order checks and depositing them. And if my car broke down, I had to like pack up the boxes myself. I had packing peanuts all over my apartment and put them in a garbage bag in one hand and take a motorcycle, which is so dangerous. I mean, I was risking my life, but I'm like, this is hundreds of dollars. You know, I was like, I was, I was, it was, uh, you know, everyone's been there, I think, who's an entrepreneur. And I remember one day I went to deposit some checks and I deposited the checks and do you want a receipt? Yes. And at that point, I probably had, I don't know, like five grand in the bank. I mean, and that was that I was I was rolling in the money. That was a big deal. You know, I had five grand in the bank and I was like, all right, just enough to maybe cover my ad expenditure. And uh, you know, I had to negotiate with the manufacturer to to get a tiny manufacturing ground because I couldn't afford anything all at all otherwise. So I had to walk in and like negotiate with him to prove to him that this was a business worth investing in. And it worked out actually ultimately for both of us very well. But I hit, yes, I want a receipt at the ATM and the receipt came out and it said like $120,000. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just started like jumping around and I was like holding my head in my hands and kind of like doing a little pony dance outside the ATM. And then I realized that it was someone else's receipt that had been jammed in there and got pushed out. And I was like, Oh, you son of a bitch. And I was like, Nope, now I'm down to four grand. Oh. But, uh, 
it's it's a roller coaster, man. You know, and if you're if you're thinking of doing your own thing, it's an education. You'll you'll learn more in the first six months than in two years at the best business school in the country, bar none. It's it's uh it's it's a real experience emotionally, psychologically, financially, <laughs> physically. It is uh it is a hell of a lot compressed into a very short period of time. Mm, yeah, no, I love that story. Um, just on that, like, what is one thing that you wish you knew as an entrepreneur when you started? I would say right off the bat, the customer isn't always right. That That's the one that comes to mind. So people put up with a lot when they are a startup, and sometimes you have to. Mm. If you need capital to make payroll, then you need capital to make payroll, and, and there are compromises you, you might have to make. But I had a handful of small customers and a handful of big customers. These are wholesale customers who are buying cases or pallets of product at a time. And I had also retail customers, you know, people who just bought one or two bottles. There are going to be people who make it their full-time job to complain and be a pain in the ass. That's just a, a, a matter of statistics. You have enough customers of every hundred, you're probably going to have one or two who have nothing better to do than to make you their full-time priority. And you have to choose, it's helpful to choose in advance what your policies are for contending with that. And in my case, I got to a point where I was having trouble sleeping, I was losing self-respect because I had a number of these wholesalers or retailers uh, who were browbeating me and insulting me for missing A, B, and C, which I didn't miss, but they misread the email and a very abusive behavior from customers. And I took it for a very long time. It started affecting my, like I said, my self-worth and my sleep. And I just decided one day, enough is enough. You know, I am focusing on the wrong people. You know, when I spend hours or days trying to fix an imaginary problem for this customer, that prevents me from spending that time on trying to replicate my lowest maintenance, highest profit customers. And so I put together an email, which basically said, and this went out to a handful of people, hi, so-and-so or dear so-and-so probably. Thank you so much for your your uh, continued patronage, if that's the right word. It was something like this. I just wanted to let you know we have a couple of company-wide policy changes happening. And uh, of course, we want to keep you in the loop. You know, Number one, we're only going to be processing orders in the following fashion. So just to cut down on phone and fax at the time and so on, it was like, this is the process for placing orders, number one. Number two, it, you know, if it, it, two, three, four, whatever it was. And then the last one was, all of those policies were intended to prevent the, the problem customers from being able to complain or make myself miserable. And then the last one was, if these policies do not work for you, we completely understand and are happy to recommend a, a competitor or other provider in our place. And you know, sincerely, Tim Ferriss, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the vast majority of the problem customers immediately, th these were going out to bigger customers again. The vast majority of them turned around, like did an about face and completely corrected their behavior. They, they went on best behavior from that point on. Because I basically said, look, if you can't do these, I got to let you go. And I made it really clear. And all of a sudden, the power dynamics switched. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Like if I don't have this product, I'm losing all this profit margin because the product's selling really well. And it completely flipped it on its head. And then they were on best behavior. One of the guys wrote back and was like, let me tell you something, you piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, all right, you're fucking fired. Goodbye. And that was it. And as soon as that happened, my quality of life, I mean, my income was probably slightly less, although it dramatically increased over the subsequent months and quarters because I had that freed up mental space and time and energy. But I was immediately sleeping better. I had better relationships with other people outside of work because that psychic drag wasn't present. So I would just say 
the customer is not always right. That is a myth. And you could talk to Henry Ford, who would tell you the same thing. You could talk to Steve Jobs, who would tell you the same thing. Customers are human. They make mistakes. They misread things. They get things wrong. And sometimes they're just jerks who deserve none of your attention or energy if you can find a way around it. So the customer is not always right. Now, you should still be polite and civil whenever possible. Uh, You don't have to be rude to fire a customer, but you don't have to take abuse from every customer. Not necessary. Mm, You know, that's that's a great one. It's quite contradictory to what you always hear, you know, especially you know, the customer is always right and you've got to, you know, cop whatever they say and just make sure they're happy. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I believe in customer service, but you need to define what customer service means to you. Right. Mm. And, you know, you have Zappos on one end of the spectrum and then you have, you know, let's say Amazon on the other end where it's like, you want to like try calling Amazon to find out where your order is. (laughs) You can't, it's not going to, it's not going to work. Or if you can, they're going to make it very, very difficult because they've decided for this business at this scale, we're focusing on the online experience and that product for people. We are not going to have an 800 number on every box or on the homepage or on the order confirmation page because that is not how we define customer service. We define customer service as invest, reinvesting our profits into services like Amazon Web Services and, and Amazon Prime and so on so that we can deliver the world's best experience with what we've decided is our core competency. Okay, so let's fast forward to now. You know, you're you're a massive authority in the entrepreneurial space as an investor. You have a massive name. You're 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 a celebrity. I'd like to hear. You know, in the first twelve months of the Four Hour Workweek brand, how did you propel your personal brand so quickly? Like, what did your first twelve months look like in the growth of the Four Hour Workweek? I would say that my approach was to there are a few, a few steps. So I would recommend everyone read a book called 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. It's very short. Read the old version, not the for internet version. Read the old version, which has you know the light beers and airlines and so on as examples. But before you can make intelligent marketing, promotional, and even product decisions, you have to know who your customer is, in my opinion. And that customer could just be you, right? I am making this product to scratch my own itch. And the 4-Hour Workweek was basically the book that I looked for and couldn't find. So I wrote it for myself. You know, I always found these like work-life books that told you money wasn't really important, or I would find books by Jack Welch about how to build a Fortune 500 company. And I didn't want either or. I wanted something in the middle. Mm. Uh, Now, when I wrote the book, I wrote it for myself, but I also wrote it for two of my friends who are experiencing very similar problems, one in his own company and one in investment banking. And my demographic, I decided to start my target. And the target is not your entire market, but the target is the domino that you have to tip over first, was 20 to 40-year-old tech-savvy males, primarily on the coasts in New York and San Francisco. And you can create a best-selling book by just targeting those people if you do it right. You do not need to appeal to the entire world. So that's number one. If you try to appeal to everyone, you're going to get nowhere. It's, it's too impossible and it's too expensive. You can't buy you know, two-page spreads in People Magazine, Wired Magazine, Sports Illustrated, and every other magazine. It doesn't work. It's, it's the cost of acquisition is too high. So you, you need to define very specifically what are your target numbers. So my numbers were, at the time, I think it was 10,000 books per week for each week, or it might have been 20, which is a lot of books. And I knew that I could achieve that if I targeted this 20 to 4-year-old tech-savvy male demographic in San Francisco, primarily in New York. So then I would ask myself, who are these people and where are they already going? Who are the thought leaders in that space? 
what are the what are the outlets that they go to on a regular basis? What are the five to ten websites at this time? You know, Twitter was just about to be launched. In fact, I remember when I was in the top one hundred people on Twitter, most followed people on Twitter at one point. Not any longer, although I have you know one point four people or one point four million or something, so it's fine. But the and then I identified not only the traffic leaders right at the time. This was the these were the tech crunches and. Scobles of the word Scobalizer, yeah. who who was tremendously influential in the launch of this book, but also who do the traffic leaders read, right? So who are the highly regarded thinkers who might not have massive platforms of their own if measured by monthly unique visitors? And then I chose the least crowded channel to try to connect with those people. In other words, I didn't try to email them. I didn't try to call them. I went to conferences. I spent almost all of my launch budget on flying to conferences and trying to spend time with thought leaders that I'd identified or their friends, which is fine, over coffee, in the hallway, or in bars and so on having drinks. And I bought a lot of drinks for a lot of people. And I never, how should I put this? I never pitched very hard. And I think this is, this is something that's, that requires a little bit of subtlety and explanation. But I would go up to a group of people, let's say, and perhaps there's a thought leader among them. And I would walk up at a bar and I would say something like, hey guys, sorry to interrupt, because of course they're talking and drinking. I'd say, cool if I join you guys and just kind of eavesdrop. I'm happy to buy a round of drinks. Know very little about tech, but I'm just here on my own. And you know, nine times out of 10, they're gonna be like, yeah, whatever, sure. And then I would ask a lot of questions. And I was genuinely interested because I was trying to educate myself about new media and web 2.0 at the time, you know, all of these different things. And so if they said something like blah, 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 well, we really knew that Ruby on Rails was the obvious choice. So it's, I, I might kind of interrupt or raise my hand in a weird, awkward way and say, so sorry to stop the flow, but what is Ruby on Rails and why was it so obvious? And I, you know, I'm deep in my ignorance pool here, but maybe, you know, I would love if you could just tell me what that is. And they would, they would answer it. And I never tried to kind of come in with a cape and impress people with how much I knew because I was an idiot. I didn't know anything about half of these technical things. And at some points they would ask me, well, what the hell is your story? Like, why are you here? <laughs> and who are you again? And I'd say, well, you know, I'm here because I've just finished my first book and I'm trying to figure out how to launch it. The publisher is controlling pretty much everything except for digital. And so I'm, I'm here to try to edu educate myself. And then I would stop. I wouldn't go into a five-minute pitch. And then if one of them asked, well, what's the book about? I would look at that person directly and I would give them a teaser. I'd be like, well, the book is about, it's a collection of case studies and principles that look at how people can take their 40 to 100 hours and compress it down to say four to 10. You know, how do you 10X your hourly output? And we have remote control CEOs. We have different billionaires who are in the book. We have single moms who are traveling the world with multiple kids while running businesses. And it's a portfolio of techniques that, that anybody can use. And then I'd stop. And then if they said, wow, that's the, if they ask questions, I would talk to those people specifically who asked questions. I didn't try to force it down anyone's throat. And then maybe we go back to talking about Ruby on Rails and all this tech stuff, blah, 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 blah. And uh, if it came back to the book at some point, let's just say it's a group of five and only one has expressed interest, I would say, you know, I know we're about to split, but my publisher sent me a bunch of review copies. I'd be happy to send you one. I don't expect you to write about it. I don't expect you to promote it. I don't expect any of that. I just have a ton of copies. And I think, you know, the, one or two chapters could be of great interest to you just based on what we talked about. And I could just, I could put a post-it note in those two so that it'll only take you 10 minutes to read. And if they said, yeah, sure, no problem, then I would send them a book. And like, honestly, that, that is what created the snowball that turned into a massive, massive monster. It was those, 
one-on-one in-person interactions that were not cold, hard cells. And I would also, and I would just underscore the fact that 90 plus percent of those people I am still friends with. And that was mm-hmm. 2007. So these are, I, I, I had a genuine human connection with someone, not just a hard pitched transaction attempt. Right. And I'm not saying kumbaya, like we should all be join hands and saying ring around the rosy forever. It's not that. I mean, they, they understood I had something to promote, but I wasn't trying to promote to the wrong audience. Does that make sense? I was identifying exactly who was most interested and most receptive. Because here's the thing you send a review copy to, and publishers do this all the time. They'll take a letter that's just a template letter and it'll close with something outrageous like, we appreciate your support and promotion. And it's like, well, wait a second. I don't even know what this book is about. Mm. And you've already yeah, co opted co opted me to be your press release service. It's like, show us some respect already. I mean, you know, there are, there are, there are magazines. It's like if, if a blog has almost the number of viewers or more than the Wall Street Journal has subscribers, like you should treat them with an equivalent amount of respect. And these people have worked very hard to get where they are. So that that's the general approach I, I used. And it was South by Southwest, specifically a couple of, of lounges where they had drinks at CES. And uh, those are the two primary events that really pushed it over the tipping point. Awesome. So let's switch gears and talk about your show that's being re-released, the Tim Ferriss experiment. What can people expect and why did you buy the rights to it? Well, they're, they're, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to tell people. So the Tim Ferriss experiment is kind of like Mythbusters meets Jackass in a way, or you can think about it as you know how to become Jason Bourne. Uh, the, the show is a collection of episodes, each one tackling a new skill. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a second, but it, it's, it's, it's technically not being re-released because there were only two episodes that were teased out initially. No one has seen them. So there are 13 total. And I negotiated back digital rights to release all of them at once, House of Cards style, so that people can see this. Since I did, I produced the show. I was an executive producer and the host with the team that has done all of Anthony Bourdain's stuff. I mean, super gritty, super cinematic, just I'm super proud of it. So why did I try to negotiate the rights back and spend a ton of money on legal fees and also on the the rights themselves because I'm proud of these episodes. I think they're just as good, hopefully, people think, as as the books and very actionable. So every episode, I'm trying to show people in real time how I learn accelerated learning and different techniques of deconstruction to learn skills super quickly. And then I have some crazy test at the end of each episode. So whether that's professional poker or parkour, like free running, which is really dangerous and I had a lot of injuries, or tactical shooting or escape and evasion, urban escape and evasion, rally car racing, the list goes on and on. I mean, surfing with Laird Hamilton is considered the, uh, you know, sort of the, the god of the sport. Jiu-jitsu with Marcelo Garcia, Brazilian jiu-jitsu with Marcelo Garcia, six-time world champion. It's, it's a really fascinating exploration of human potential and what seemingly normal people can do, i.e. myself and the viewers, to appear superhuman and get superhuman results. So that's, that's the show. I mean, it's 13 episodes, 21, 22 minutes each. will be available on iTunes and uh, people can find all the links at fourhourworkweek.com forward slash TV, all spelled out, F-O-U-R. But the, the intention of the show is to give people a toolkit that they can use, but teach them that toolkit through something that is closer to 
an action movie. <laughs> and it's, le- it's legit. It is nonfiction. Like what you see is what happened. And you get to see a lot of face plants. You get to see some horrific accidents, but you get to see occasional miracles. And then for those miracles, I'm showing you how those were engineered and how you can do the same thing. Yeah, no, it looks awesome. Because I did see the first two episodes, but I didn't know whether there were some other ones that I couldn't get because I'm here in Australia and, you know, the stuff with the US sometimes. And I saw the trailer and it looks like I'm really, really pumped, especially especially that pickup one because you look really nervous. Oh, I was, I was extremely nervous and embarrassed. Uh, yeah, so the yeah, exactly. Having Neil Strauss who wrote the game forcing me to do cold approaches on women was more hilarious for you guys to watch than it was hilarious for me to do. I was a nervous wreck, but yes, very very funny experience. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, yeah, I'm really really pumped for the show. So when does it release? So the show is available probably when people are listening to this, but the show is available April 28th. It'll probably go up the April 27th and available on the 28th, and uh, it'll all be there. So it should probably be available at iTunes.com forward slash Tim Ferriss, two R's, two S's. But man, there's something for everybody. I mean, language learning, swimming, build a business. There, if you like any aspect of the four-hour work week, four-hour body, or four-hour chef, it's all in there. Yeah, no, look, I'm I'm super pumped to see all the episodes. And I like the fact that you've released it all in one go, Netflix style. You don't have to wait like Game of Thrones. It's just all there for you. Yeah, I know how I like to watch stuff. And that's how I like to watch stuff is binge watching. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it available to everyone else. My family hasn't even seen this show. So I want I want everybody to be able to see everything. And that's that's the goal. Love it. Let's talk about just we worked we'll work towards wrapping up, but let's talk about productivity because you are, you know, a genius at I guess hacking time, finding the shortcuts, like you will show everyone in your show. Like what are your top three tools for productivity? Because I know everybody loves tools. You know, I'd love to hear what tools you love that are really helping you. Absolutely. I'll give you a rundown of, of a couple of them. And I'm, I'm looking right at my computer so I, and, and my phone so I can give you a couple of quick ones. So in no particular order, Evernote, I use, I'm an advisor to Evernote, so full disclosure, but I used it before I became involved with those guys. Evernote is where I do all my note taking, all of my research gathering. I share notes from Evernote with, with people. That's also how I do all of my screenshots with Skitch, which is part of Evernote. So Evernote's kind of my home base for almost everything. One password, I use for all of uh, you know my password work, and they generate. They can help you generate very difficult to crack passwords. For email specifically, email game g a dot m e and boomerang. You should get the, the our game changers. You can schedule emails to be sent later. You can schedule automatically to be reminded if someone hasn't replied to an email, so it removes the need for follow up and remembering to follow up, which is a complete game changer. So those two tools alone will probably increase your email processing speed by 50 to hundred percent. I kid you not. And then there's an extension for Chrome called momentum. Momentum is very helpful because what happens is I'm sure everyone has done this. You open a tab to go to Wikipedia or to go to Facebook for a quick post update or whatever it might be. And you get lost. You get lost in the forest of the internet. And then you come back and you're like, God, where did that hour go? What Momentum does, every time you open a new tab in Chrome, it shows you a beautiful photograph and it says either what is your main focus for the day 
or if you've already done that, as I have in my case, you know, shows I'm looking at this right now, it has the time and it says, good evening, Tim, today. And then it has, you know, processing bonus footage. I have to look at all of the bonus interviews, extended scenes, all the crazy stuff that I couldn't put in the, the TV shows to decide where I'm going to put that because I have hours and hours and hours of bonus footage, which people can find on the, the, the fourhourworkweek.com forward slash TV page is where I'm going to put that. Then there's an inspirational quote below it which is kind of appropriate to this interview, actually. This is Galileo Galilei. We cannot teach people anything. We can only help them discover it within themselves. Very true. And this prevents you from getting lost on the internet. It reminds you of what your most important task is every time you open a new tab. So that would also be a great tool to keep you on point. And last but not least, I would say meditating for 10 to 20 minutes in the morning. If you've never done it before, start with an app like Headspace or Calm, Mm. both of which are very helpful. Or you could use a guided meditation like those available on the site of Sam Harris, samharris.org with H-A-R-R-I-S, or those by Tara Brock are quite good as well, B-R-A-C-H. But meditating in the morning before you go into any type of reactive mode also is a complete game changer. It has been for me, at least. Start with guided meditation. It's a lot easier. I took a transcendental meditation course, tm.org. There are things that I dislike about the method, but ultimately it's been very, very effective for me. So those would be a handful of the things right off the bat that I that I use every day. Wow, man, no, that, that was awesome. Thank you. Last question before we wrap up, and this is one of my favorite questions I ask everyone is, out of all the success you've achieved, what do you value the most? The freedom to work on what I want to work on. That would be it. I mean, it's it's not a belonging. It's not something I bought. It's not the houses I might have. It's the ability to say no and work on things that I want to work on. And I'm very fortunate to have a platform for doing that where I can not only create things, but get them to people. And, uh, you know, I'm, ho- I'm hoping it's a force for good. That's, that's the intention anyway. So that was the interview with Tim Ferriss, somebody that I've been wanting to speak to for a very, very long time. I really hope you enjoyed that interview, guys. And please do remember, if you do want to go check out his TV show, which I highly recommend you do, I've seen the first couple of episodes and they're so cool and there's a lot you can learn because he just drops so many knowledge bombs. Go to itunes.com forward slash Tim Ferriss, double R, double S. And if you are enjoying these podcast episodes or just this episode, please do take the time to leave us a review. I've got so many more game-changing episodes coming your way, and I'm just here to provide as much value as I can. Wish you a fantastic day, and thank you again. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.